Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Welcome. Happy New Year. Glad that you're here, whether you're at our Klein campus in Cinecourt East or Cinecourt West or whether you're at our Woodlands campus or whether you're worshiping online today. However it is that you're here, we're really glad that you're here uh, today. So uh, not only did we see that piece, we saw the piece about rise above. You know, with national security issues always on the news, uh, ever shaky economy, um, personal problems that involve stress in relationships, unemployment, financial uh, sorts of things, illness, and just all sorts of relational conflicts. I've just been noticing that there's no shortage of possibilities and opportunities for any of us to feel this sense gliding along the subterranean of our soul of concern, if not outright discouragement. And that's why we're going to take on this series uh, that we're starting next week called Rise Above, because there is a great book in the New Testament for us that's often overlooked, and we're going to study that as we launch into Rise Above next Sunday. I hope that you'll be there here for that one and for all the weeks in January as we uh, move into that series. Today, Duffy Robbins is here, always a favorite around the Faith Bridge culture. He has a wonderful message for us, which is a nice, uh, you know, sort of uh, precursor coming along into the Rise Above series, as a matter of fact. So as Duffy comes, let's welcome him right now. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Blessed New Year to all of you. Thanks so much for uh, coming out and being here. Those of you who are joining us, Klein East and West, those of you there at the Woodlands and online. Um, yeah, it, this, this is the prequel. Uh, um, this, this, whole, this whole theme that, uh, that Ken has been thinking about and developing and talking with us about this morning, the, the tensions that we all feel moving into this uh, new year, this sort of notion that there's a new normal and how do we... How in the world do we rise above? How do we, how do we explore that in, in an attitude and a posture of faith? I think, um, I think one of the strange paradoxes of, of, of the holiday season, at least for me, is that it confronts us um, with a lot of these kind of mixed images. You know, we, uh, I think all of us feel this a little bit. We, we sing songs about peace on earth. Uh, and then we watch nightly newscasts that show us in vivid uh, color the ravages of, of war. Uh, or, or we gather with our families and we sing joy of the world while, while other families and communities right in our own country quite literally uh, are being devastated by, by tornadoes and by, and by floods. Um, we, we, we hear the, uh, the angels, uh, uh, you know, assurances uh, to the shepherds, fear not. Uh, but then a few days later, uh, we, we listen to the mayor of New York City who, who promises us that there will be six thousand policemen on the street so that uh, hopefully there will be no massive terrorist attack. I mean, just, it just feels a little bit like we're, we're sort of pretending. Uh, cone hats and, and confetti, uh, little horns and wishes for a, for a happy new year. It just sort of feels like we're whistling uh, past the, the graveyard. 
Um, now, now I, I, I should say, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. Uh, I realize, I get it, that uh, it, it's, uh, it's not very festive to post a picture of your family on Facebook uh, and write a message, you know, wishing you and your family uh, a quick recovery from floods, uh, tornadoes, and, and wildfires. That, that, uh, that doesn't have sort of the vibe you're looking for. Uh, Hallmark doesn't offer any cards that say, uh, wishing you and your family survive the year. Uh, it, it, it's just not, a, it's just not what, what we're looking for. But the question still haunts us. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we face this new year with, with all of its uncertainties, all those questions that, that, that Ken posed and pointed us to, uh, perils and, and unknown. Some of us in this very room, we're facing real difficulties in 2016 uh, with, with jobs, with relationships, family issues, uh, questions from about school, issues with friends, financial struggles, physical problems, job concerns. And, 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 and in fact, some of us face these difficulties but don't even realize it yet. Is there really and truly a promise for us in 2016 of a happy, a happy new year? Or is our optimism just sort of this never, never land uh, denial? Are we just kind of fooling ourselves with our new year wishes? Um, now, let me just say that, that I realize some of you are, are going, well, Duffy, thank you so much for raising these questions. I love coming to church and getting depressed. Uh, you know, some of you are maybe just visiting this morning and you're thinking, wow, this, this, is, this is fantastic. I have not been this encouraged since we were told we're going to need a new roof on the house. Uh, I, I, I get that. Um, next, next thing you know, you, we're going to be announcing uh, that after the service, uh, we're all going to go to Chipotle for food, fellowship, and bacteria. Um, I, I, uh, I understand that it sounds a little bit depressing, but here's the great news, men and women. Brothers and sisters, here's the great news of the gospel is that there is hope. There really is hope. Even in the darkest of times, there is there is light in God's promise. Uh, in fact, in fact I, would, I would go so far as to say the gospel isn't really good news unless it speaks to the really bad news. That's why I'm so intrigued on this uh, first Sunday of the new year by a passage in, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. I want us to spend a few moments this morning thinking about this, this verse, Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you'll just raise your hand, we have some uh, folks who are making their way down the aisle. They would love to uh, make sure that you get one so that you can follow along uh, in the Bible if you wish. Just put your hand up in the ear. If you have a Bible, basically crack it right in the middle. That will bring you to the book of Psalms and then turn to Psalm chapter 5. I want to just read verse 11, Psalm 5, 11. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. I uh, received some time ago a letter about a woman named Lisa. And, and Lisa was not having a happy uh, New Year. Quite unexpectedly, she found herself facing a year of pain, betrayal, and, and heartbreak. She had been married and happy, secure in her life as uh, a mom and a wife, uh, when all of a sudden she became very sick. In fact, uh, she was critically ill. Uh, within a matter of weeks, uh, she found herself at the lowest point in her life, both physically and emotionally, and that 
is when the bottom dropped out. Her husband came home one day and explained to her why she was sick. Uh, She was sick because she had AIDS. And her husband knew that she had AIDS because he had known for about a year that he had contracted the disease from a woman with whom he had been having an affair. And he knew that uh, there was this risk, of course, that he might give his wife the disease, but he didn't want to admit to her what he had done, so he just decided to keep it a, a, a secret. And Lisa's husband explained to her that he was deeply sorry, uh, but he really loved this woman, and he didn't know what to do. And, and Lisa sort of just felt like he, he sort of didn't know anything at this point. And he didn't think he wanted to, to leave, as Lisa put it, but, but he was willing to leave her and the children if that's what she really wanted. It was a conversation that lasted about an hour, but it was an hour that announced to Lisa that her life would probably never, ever be the same again. Everything she thought was rock solid was shaken to the foundations. Her marriage was in deep crisis. The husband, who she would need most to help her walk through these dark times, wasn't even sure he wanted to stay with her. And then she was soon to find out that her two children, whom she deeply loved, would probably grow up without a mommy because the doctor told her her disease had progressed to the point where it would likely be terminal. Can you imagine the grief, the, the, the shock, the anger, just, just the sense that life has collapsed uh, around you? How can somebody like Lisa rejoice and be glad? How does someone like Lisa rise uh, above. It's, I think, a question that all of us wrestle with to, to some degree. It's like Pastor Ken reminded us. All of us deal with this question. How do we rise above in a, in a new normal that seems to want to drag us down? We, we want to look ahead to the, to the new year with hope and expectation, but we live in a world that can be very, very cruel to hope and expectation. It's interesting, over and over in the book of Psalms, we read about feelings of, of deep pain, hard questions, uh, feelings of, of rejection, and yet what's noteworthy is that in the midst of these deep waters of pain and difficulty, the Psalms talk over and over and over again about gladness, gladness and joy. In fact, I counted in the book of Psalms over 40 times that the word glad is actually used. Now, Now, if you've read through the Psalms, you know it's true. Uh, the Psalms also speak of lament and, and, and struggle and disappointment and anger. But what's noteworthy, I think, is that right smack in the midst of all this is this defiant call to gladness, to gladness. How does that work? How can, how can that happen? How can anybody possibly know joy in the midst of difficult, scary, and confusing times? How can we, with the tough times and questions and issues we face in this coming year, how can we know gladness and joy? I want us to answer that question this morning by thinking of three critical truths as we walk into this new year. This will help us to sort of chart the course, set the frame for the practical questions of how do we rise above that we'll be exploring over the next several weeks here at Faith Bridge. But for this morning, let's just begin with the prequel. How do we know and experience 
gladness. Um, each of the three principles I want to share are anchored to some degree in this passage. Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Principle number one, principle of gladness number one is what I call the principle of godly surprise. The principle of godly surprise. The principle of godly surprise is simply this. God often acts when we don't expect him to. God often acts when we don't expect him to. Some of you, uh, I think maybe most of you know that, uh, that I also teach youth ministry at a Christian liberal arts university uh, in the Philadelphia area. It's called Eastern University. We actually, uh, in our youth ministry curriculum, have a course called Discipling Youth. And this is a course that we used to teach in a J term in January. As a part of the course, there are two components. One component is an on-campus component that is largely uh, devoted to studying principles of discipleship and disciple making. And the second component is an off-campus component where we actually visit different ministries that are, are trying to flesh out and, and, and sort of apply these various principles in different ministry contexts. Several years ago, we were um, in that second part, the field component of the course, and we were spending a week in Boston, me and about 15 to 18 college students visiting different ministries. It was the last night of our time in Boston. There was a weather report on the evening news that, uh, that uh, warned uh, Bostonians that there was a nor'easter that was due very quickly to blow into New England. It was gonna be a massive, massive snowstorm. Now, if you live in my part of the country, uh, some of you have lived in the Northeast, you don't get too rattled by uh, bad weather, by snow. It happens and it gets plowed and we kind of deal with it. Um, but I, I made a little bit of a concession. I said to my students, guys, we were gonna leave at seven tomorrow morning. Why don't we give ourselves a little extra time? We'll leave at six o'clock. And uh, that way, if we have any uh, slowdown, then uh, we can still get back to campus at a decent hour. And, and so that's exactly what happened. We left the next morning at six o'clock. In fact, it wasn't even snowing when we left Framingham in the western suburbs of Boston. By the time we got to Sturbridge uh, and made our way south on Interstate 91, um, the flurries began. By the time we got to Middletown, Connecticut and, uh, and made a turn towards Interstate 95, uh, the flurries had become more intense and we were facing some snow, some real snow. By the time we got to 95, I-95 in New Haven. Um, it, was, it was a very, very serious blizzard. By the time we got to New Jersey and the New Jersey Turnpike, which is unsafe in any weather, uh, we, were, uh, we were in a real whiteout situation. I mean, it was, it was, it was critical. We, uh, all traffic had slowed to crawl. The only way you could really see the sides of the road was by uh, identifying trucks and cars that had spun out and jackknifed. And uh, you could hear the snow kind of crunch under the tires. The wipers had completely, you know, given up. Uh, no longer are they cleaning the windshield. Now it's just kind of, you know, I mean, just kind of, just sort of dodging and wiping at the ice. And, and this van uh, had, had grown quiet, you know, that, uh, that, that only a, a few hours earlier had been animated with college kids laughing and talking. And now it's just hushed. It's just, it's just sort of, you know, group driving, you know, uh, Duffy, don't kill us. And, and, uh, and, and uh, literally, I had to have the window open on the passenger side because I had to have someone over there to show, to look out, to see where the side of the road was. 
Well, to make a long story short, this trip would normally have taken us six hours. By the time we got back to our exit off of the Schuylkill Expressway, the Gulf Mills exit, we had been in that van for 12 hours. 12 hours. When we got to the exit, though, we found ourselves stuck in a massive traffic jam, complete gridlock. Couldn't go down the exit, couldn't go forwards, couldn't go backwards. We sat there for another six hours in the van in the van, as the snow piled up around us. And every time I tell the story, the snow gets higher. And, uh, and I think now we're at about 12 feet. But, but, but uh, this is before everybody had cell phones too. So uh, fortunately, the guy in the car in front of us had a, you know, had a car, like a phone. It was like this big shoebox thing. And we called the campus and said, look, we're not gonna be home. Uh, uh, we're not gonna be back on campus for a while, but we're okay, don't worry about us. Uh, meanwhile, we just sat there in the van and, and, and you, you know, you were stuck. If, if you had to go to the bathroom, it was just tough darts. You had to go out and burrow. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it was interesting how the mood in the van began to evolve over time. It started off just talking and laughing, but then we began to sing together. And then the singing began to move into praying together. And we finally got back that night to the campus around midnight, 18 hours after we had left Framingham, Massachusetts. Um, I dropped everybody off at the dorm and we were just exhausted. One of the, um, one of the uh, requirements in the course, one of the assignments is that you have to write uh, a reaction paper about which part of the course most impacted you spiritually. And if the students want to do well, they'll, they'll usually refer to something I've said. Well, not funny, but, uh, but anyway, that year, that year, you can guess almost every single student, when they talked about what was the most impactful element spiritually of the whole trip, they talked about being stuck together in the van in the snowstorm. So next year, we just parked at a truck stop for seven hours. But no, but I thought to myself, isn't, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how, how, how God works when we do not expect him to? I think the, the, the principle of divine surprise reminds us that God often acts when we do not expect him to. Uh, it, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the elements of this psalm I think is so fascinating is that it begins not with hope, but with despair. It ends with gladness, but it begins in despair. Eugene Peterson renders uh, the early verses of Psalm chapter five in the message by paraphrasing it this way. He writes, listen, God, please pay attention. Can you make sense of these ramblings, my groans and cries? King God, I need your help. Every morning, you'll hear me at it again. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. These are not the words of a man basking in happiness and certainty. In fact, if you read through the earlier verses of Psalm chapter five, you're gonna read about a man who is living in a blizzard of false accusation, betrayal, and opposition. In fact, just, just look back at the text right now, verse one. Just look at verse one. Notice the intensity and the repetition of those opening verbs. Uh, give ear. Uh, consider, or, or some of your uh, translations may read, uh, heed, uh, give attention, listen to the sound of my cry, I pray. This is a guy in a very dark place, but what he discovers, what he discovers in, in this snowstorm of assault is the surprising promise of a God who brings the shelter of protection and 
gladness. Let's go back to verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Verse 12, and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And it's interesting, the word shield there in Hebrew is the word used in ancient Near Eastern culture to describe this, this large, uh, full body length shield that offered soldiers uh, the, the surest and sole protection in the assault of battle. One of the great and surprising discoveries of the life of faith, men and women, is how God can meet us even in the midst of our daily struggle. We, we, we so easily render our, our verdicts about what God is doing or what God is not doing. But I want us to be reminded God is a God of surprises. Born in the darkness of a Nazi concentration camp were these words of divine surprise written by Corey Tinboom. Maybe you've heard this, this poem before. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors, he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow. And I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares, nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Maybe this morning it feels like you're in a, you're in a dark place and that the coming year will offer you little but opposition and difficulty and stress. Maybe it feels like you and your family or your business or your dreams are alone in a van on a lonely exit, stuck in a, a storm and it's all closing in on you. Please understand, I'm not promising you this morning prosperity. I can't promise prosperity to you this morning. But here's what I can promise. Here's what I can promise. What may right now appear to you to be the darkness of a huge cloud of difficulty could turn out to be the shadow of the sure shield of God's faithfulness. The principle of God's divine surprise reminds us God doesn't always act when we expect him to. He doesn't always act when we expect him to. Let's look at a second principle of gladness. Second principle of gladness is what I call the principle of miracle math. God can add up our negatives and come up with positives. God can add up our negatives and come up with positives. Some of you know that uh, before I went to teach youth ministry at Eastern, I served for many, many years as a youth pastor. Um, the last church I served before I moved to Philadelphia uh, was the United Methodist Church in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, we were the largest youth group uh, in that area, a fairly large congregation. And, uh, and so we hosted a big outreach event uh, one night, on a Saturday night at our church. We invited other youth groups to come, but we mostly wanted to make sure that our students brought their buddies, brought their friends. It was an 
outreach. And the whole motif, the whole theme of this night was a 50s party. So everybody was supposed to kind of dress in 50s clothing. We were going to use 50s music. We, we had kind of 50s games. Uh, and then the, the highlight of the night, we kind of hyped this, was that we were going to actually show everybody a 50s movie with Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon called Beach Blanket Bingo. And, uh, and, and to make it a little bit more entertaining, we were gonna actually show the movie backwards. Um, we thought it would be a lot more entertaining that way. And, and, uh, and, and it was fun. And, 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 uh, and, and we would each week at youth group kind of promote this thing, plug it, give kids a little glimpse. We'd play a short clip backwards. And, and we, we'd let the kids watch it and say, if you want to know what happened before that, come next week. And, and, uh, and, and, and we just had this ongoing deal for about a month, building up to the big night. Now, I need to stop here and explain, because some of you may not be aware of this, that back in the 80s when you showed a movie, uh, you used what was known as a 16-millimeter projector. 16, these are huge monstrosities with large reels on either end and a, a labyrinth of gears and sprockets. Uh, they were often referred to as tools of Satan. Uh, and, and they were notorious uh, for their uh, malfunctions. And uh, anybody who ever showed a movie on a 60 millimeter projector, you always held your breath. Um, and, 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 uh, and that's exactly what I was thinking that night uh, as we got ready to show Beach Blanket Bingo uh, backwards. We had about 200 kids in the gymnasium at Asbury Theological Seminary. The evening had gone great so far. Uh, the students were kind of wearing their 50s stuff and the music, the games, it all worked. Uh, it, it's, it, we, had, we just crushed it. It was just going fantastic. Um, now it was time to show the movie, and we decided we were going to kind of simulate a drive-in theater. So we had uh, the movie was going to be projected on the wall of the gym, and we had the kids seated in twos and some people roller skating through there and serving refreshments. Now it was time to start the movie, and so uh, we got it all set up, kill the lights, everybody's seated. I said, roll it. But there was no image on the screen. It was audio, but no video. And uh, because of my vast youth ministry experience, I recognized that 90 minutes of uh, backward uh, audio probably wouldn't entertain our students and keep their attention. And so I said, oh, okay, all right, stop the, stop the projector. And so I went over and kind of fixed that and kind of checked the, the, the sprockets and the gears. Uh, so just, all right, let's try it again. Okay, hit the lights, roll it. <laughs> Yeah, give me the lights again, please. And, uh, and I did that again. That happened about three times. Uh, now I'm getting worried because I, I've, I've got 200 teenagers in the room and they've been expecting this movie and what am I gonna do if we don't do the movie? And, and plus, I'm kind of this youth ministry guy and we're hosting the thing. I feel responsible. And, I, and I'm kind of, frankly, a little bit ticked off at God that he would let this happen. Doesn't he understand that our kids need to see Beach Blanket Bingo so they can meet Jesus? And, uh, and uh, you know, why doesn't he just zap it? And uh, anyway, uh, so in this kind of uh, cauldron of stress and, and despair and anger, somebody yells out. And I don't know if it was one of my kids or some kid for another group, but somebody yelled out, we want our money back. <laughs> and all I could think of was, where would you like me to put it? You know, I didn't, I didn't actually say that. But it, what I did actually say, it was almost like an out-of-the-body experience. What I did actually say was I heard myself yell, I mean, scream, everybody up against the wall. 
had no idea what they were going to do over there. And so everybody up against the wall. And, 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 and they could tell I was serious. Like even my adult leaders going, quick, get over. I mean, people are going to the wall. And, 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 uh, and I remember just looking at them for a long time going, you guys. And then thinking, you're going to need a verb. You guys. And I said, you guys have hurt my feelings. And they're like, dude, Duffy has feelings. And, 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 and I launched into about an eight-minute rant, just a tirade against them. And it just, just you know, we don't have to beat her and we're only here because we love you kids. We're just going to try to have some fun with it. Beach blanket, bingo, so you can meet Jesus. And I dropped, you know, and there were two little seventh grade girls down near the end who were like, and so I aimed at them. I could see that's where they were vulnerable. And, 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 and I, just, I just hounded and pounded. And finally, at the end of this diatribe, I said, you want your money back? You're going to get your money back because this night is over. It's over. Go home. Bye. And, and, and at first, kids in my group who knew me, I think they thought, oh, it's a gag. It's, it's a joke, you know. Or maybe it's a role play. He's, he's, he's doing the role of the demoniac from, you know. And, and, uh, you know and, but there was no smile. There was no smile. And, and even my adult leaders who, who started to walk up to him, no. I mean, I was just a total brat. I said, no, we're done. Bye. And these two little seventh grade girls peeled off, walked over to our money box, got their dollar, and people began to leave one at a time until I'm the last one in the gym. It's about a five-minute walk from um, the seminary over to my house. It was a very small town. And I remember in that five-minute walk, I just kept thinking to myself, it was a cold, dark night. I thought, what will your next career be? And, uh, and, and, uh, and I just thought, this is a perfect debacle. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. This is a disaster. Well, the beauty of living in a small town like that is that it doesn't take long to get mail because the postman knows you, knows where you live. Uh, Sunday kind of came and went. I was pretty much on autopilot. But Monday, I have a letter delivered to me by the postman. Open it up, and it's a Christian greeting card. And, and it's got kind of this picture of storm clouds on it which is probably appropriate. And then I open it up, and this young woman in our group, Elaine, has written me a letter, and she says, Duffy, I'm really sorry about uh, how we hurt your feelings last night at uh, 50's party. It was a lot of fun, and, and I'm sorry it didn't go the way you wanted, um, and I'm just, just really sad that we hurt your feelings. But then she said this, but as I was thinking back about this tonight, as I'm sitting here in my bedroom, I, I kept thinking about how, hurt you were. And I realized that you only hurt that much because you really love us. Which kind of made me realize how much God really loves me. And I just wanted to write you a note to let you know, I'll never forget this night. I'm going, that's right, Elaine. And that's why we staged this entire episode. <laughs> But isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't that, isn't that fascinating how God works? One of the amazing elements of God's providence is he can take our negatives 
and transform them into positives. In each of the two Psalms that precede Psalm 5, Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 3, Psalm 3, Psalm 4, David is facing turmoil. Uh, In Psalm 3, uh, he's being uh, pursued by his son Absalom, who really wants to to kill him. It's an act of betrayal. Psalm 4, David finds himself surrounded by enemies, gripped by thoughts of hatred, uh, revenge, uh, and even spilling into Psalm 5. There's, there in the early verses, this real sense that, that David's party has gone very, very badly. But then in verse 7 of chapter 5, David testifies that by giving those negatives to God, he's discovered a precious positive, that God has brought him. God has brought him to a place of renewed worship. David writes, I, 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 through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. <clears throat> you see, Men and women, not only does God act when we do not expect him to, but God often acts when we least, when we least expect him to. He adds up negatives and comes up with positives. When God sent his son to die on the cross, God lost a son, but that act made it possible for you and me to gain a savior, to gain eternal life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, whoever seeks to save his own life will lose it, subtract it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake will actually gain it. I know it. I know it seems unlikely. I know it doesn't, it doesn't add up, but that's the miracle. That's the miracle of God's math. God can take your negatives this morning, whatever they might be, And if you will submit them, give them to him, he can turn them into positives. Which brings us to the last of the principles of gladness I want us to look at this morning. The principle of godly hope. The principle of godly hope. The story goes that this little boy lived in Boston. One of his favorite activities every summer was the month of July when he was invited up to stay with his grandfather at Lake Winnipesaukee, this beautiful, massive lake that's nestled in the middle of the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, he loved going up there, but his favorite part of being there every summer was Saturday mornings when his granddad would take him over to the general store and he would sit him down there and allow him to watch as his grandfather took on one opponent after the other in checkers. He was the checker champ of Lake Winnipesaukee. And the little kid used to beam with pride as his granddad just shut down one opponent after the other. He loved this. He regaled in these victories, watching his grandfather work every single summer until the summer of his 13th year. In the summer of his 13th year, he made a decision that it was his turn to show his checker expertise. Uh, The grandfather had not allowed him to play there at the general store. Uh, It was just kind of this weird thing. His granddad didn't want that to happen. And and although they would play together at the house, he would never play him actually in the arena of official competition. Well, in the summer of his 13th year, the kid said, I want it, grandfather. You know, don't don't be afraid. I'll, I'll take it easy on you. I won't be too hard. Just give me a shot. And so the granddad, why not? Granddad said, maybe I'll teach him a lesson. And so the big match was set up where it was passed around town there in Alton Bay, Laconia, in the area. 
And, uh, and the big Saturday came and there was a big crowd of people gathered there in the general store, perfect Norman Walkwell picture that got this hand-drawn checkerboard and, and uh, you know, bottle caps there. And these two guys on either side, uh, the grandfather and the kid. The grandfather allowed the little boy to move, the 13-year-old to move first. He made his move, then the grandfather made his move. Kid made his second move, grandfather made his second move. Then the kid made his third, the grandfather made his third. When the grandfather made his fourth move, though, he moved into a jump. And of course, this kid's savvy, he's smart. He wrote, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's this old fox up to? He's trying to trick me, he's trying to trap me. But as he looked at the board, he couldn't see anything, and so he took the jump. Well, then there was another move, and then another move later, he moves into another jump. Grandfather does it again. By the time the grandfather had done this the third time, the kid starts to kind of talk trash, you know, talk some smack. And, and come on, granddaddy, you're losing it, you're forgetting, you know, are you, are you, is it too much for you? And, and by the time he took the fourth jump, even the spectators began to wonder what's happened to the old man. And that was when, for the first time, grandfather takes his eyes off of the board and looks into the face of his 13-year-old grandson and says, you've done really well. You've done really well but now it's my turn. And he reaches out over the checkerboard, his old, hairy, bony hand, kind of like a gnarled up tree limb with hair on it. And he reaches out and he grabs this checker and he goes, jump, 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 crown him. And of course, the kid's embarrassed, he's humiliated, he can't believe it, he's shocked. And he looks in the face of his grandfather and his grandfather just nodded and said, let me tell you something, son, don't ever forget this. You don't mind getting jumped if you know you're headed for king territory. You don't mind getting jumped if you know you're headed for king territory. The principle of godly hope, men and women, is that you and I are headed for king territory. The promise of godly faith in this new year is that your story and my story is not simply played out on the stage of time. It is not marked merely by days and months and, and new years. As James puts it in his epistle, chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And that's not just some lofty promise about Gladness someday in the sweet by and by. This is a crown of life. This is God's word promising us that there is way more to this story than we can see. It may look to you and to me like there are dangers and perils and betrayals and heartbreak, and that may very well be true. But that's not the end of the story. And you don't mind as much getting jumped when you know that the best chapter is yet to come. We are headed. Those of us in Christ are headed for king territory. For you bless the righteous. You bless the righteous, David says. Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. That was the, that was the hope that sustained Lisa through those long days of that difficult year. And it was a year of deep deep difficulty. But out of all those negatives, God, God brought some huge and stunning positives. First of all, Lisa 
and her husband were reconciled. God healed their marriage in, a, in an amazing way. And then moved by, by Lisa's consistent witness and, and grace in the midst of all this turmoil, a number of her friends and even some of her caregivers came to know Jesus. One of those people was Lisa's husband who committed himself to be a disciple of Jesus and a faithful husband and a faithful father. Well, in the midst of all this, um, she heard a song written by uh, one of my favorite songwriters, a guy named Michael Kelly Blanchard. It was recorded by a band called Glad. And, and, and she was so moved by the lyrics to the song that she wrote a letter to the lead singer of the group, Ednall, who happens to be a buddy of mine. Uh, and in that letter, she went through uh, each line of the song and explained how uh, the particular lyric had spoken to her in her unique place of struggle. And it's a, it's a very powerful testimony. Well, anyway, when Ed told me about all this, I asked him if I could have a copy of Lisa's letter so that I could share her testimony with other people. And with her permission, he said, yes. So this morning, that's precisely what I'd like to do. As we close our time together in the Word, I want to let you hear from Lisa her personal testimony of, of gladness. And the way this is going to happen is... Uh, I'm gonna play for you the song, but as you listen to the song, I wanna invite you to look at the screen and uh, you'll hear the song performed by this group, Glad. At the top of the screen, you'll actually see uh, the, the, the lyrics to the song that were originally written by Michael Kelly Blanchard, at least a portion of the lyrics. And then in the lower two thirds of the screen, you're actually gonna see Lisa's explanation of how those particular lines of the song spoke personally to her. So I want to invite you, let's look, let's listen, and, and may all of us uh, who take refuge in the Lord, may we be glad, may we be glad, may we uh, rejoice in this new year and sing for joy. Let's watch. Do, do. of confused situations in these nights of a restless remorse when the heart and the soul of a nation lay wounded and cold as a cold from the
this time your selkies are turning and outside there are faces of friends though your body lay weary from wasting and your eyes show the sorrow they've had sorrow the love that your heart is not tasting Open the gate, be ye glad. truth there is no disease or no struggle that can pull us from God. I pray, Lord, that you would this morning encourage a heart that maybe is in a blizzard of despair or maybe just beginning to feel the flurries of stress or maybe, maybe even the person who's in a more dangerous spot who feels that the sky is sunny and it will always be so. Would you, Lord, help us to launch into this new year with the promise of gladness. Lord, I pray that you would help us over these next few weeks as we think about what it means to rise above. How do we do this in practical terms that you would continue to give us, grant us this assurance that there is a God who is with us and that we can rejoice and be glad. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Welcome to Postscript. 
Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Lou Ann Riley, Grow Group Director, and I'm here today with Pastor Ken, who's sitting in for Duffy. Duffy had to catch a quick flight today, and so Pastor Ken is going to talk a little bit about our new series. We didn't get any questions today texted in, but Duffy's message was very timely very considering where we're headed yeah, for right. the new year. We've seen this promotional video of the water and the drowning and the, the rise above. Right. Tell us more about what this series is going to be about. Sure. What we're going to talk about, it, it comes from the little book of First Peter in the New Testament, which is just a great study and I felt like it was the right thing for us to talk about going into this year for two reasons based upon things that we talked about last year. We did a series on the life of Peter back in the spring of last year. Um, and so it seemed to me we ought to come back to what he actually then would write when he was at a far deeper uh, more balanced, stable point in his life about 30 years after the resurrection. Um, because he's gonna write to these Christians that are dispersed all around modern day Turkey and they were fleeing for their lives like Christians are today, uh, more and more. And because the Emperor Nero was taking them into the Colosseum 15 and 20 at a time and, and doing shows, feeding them to the lions and beheading them and things that you see happening more a little bit today to Christians. And so it's, it's a fantastic book on the reality of pain in this world, suffering in this world, complications, hardships, um, and just seemed like for that reason and then for a second reason, coming out of that series on Daniel that we did, because we're gonna look next week at the first 12 verses in chapter one, where he, were, where he uh, mentions this fiery trial. And commentators tend to agree, he surely had the story of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, and the fiery the, the pit and, and that whole thing in mind when he was writing this letter. So it seemed like the right uh, series for us to, to go into based upon what we had talked about last year and just the realities of the world today that I think more and more we're gonna have to reprogram our minds to a new normal. And so how do I live my Christian faith out in light of this new normal on the macro level and on the micro level where there's hardships in my home and my family and my work and my finances and it's a very relevant book for, for all of that. So I'm real excited about it. And I, we, Duffy and I had not compared notes and I didn't know where he was gonna go. But as he said in the message, it was a really nice prequel to the, the series and very inspiring. And uh, so I'm looking forward to picking it up next week. Awesome, we're looking forward to it too. And I hope that you'll join us back here next week for Postscript. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.